What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I'm your host, Brandon Fam, and with me, I'm by myself because this is a soapbox episode. For those who are joining us who have never been a part of this, a soapbox episode is just me ranting about a random topic that I feel is of utmost importance. So important that I don't save it for a roundtable news episode with Ray. This is a self-proclaiming, argumentative, mostly agreeable rant. Uh, Because once in a while, there is just something that's happening that's affecting game development uh, and game developers that I have to address because it is a crisis, right? So without further ado, let's kind of go right into it. So recently, there has been uh, a couple of great things that has been happening in the summer. So usually there's a summer uh, festival hosted by Jeff Keeley or Knightley Keeley um, that uh, basically replaces E3, right? So every camp, every console, every software developer kind of show their lineup, right? What is the most important is Xbox. Uh, it's kind of having go through this kind of uh, PR cleanup crew after the dreadful um, roller coaster they went on with Redfall, right? It was their first party multi um, first party game from a very reputable company uh, that they own uh, for a while, right? So. To explain that further, Sony kind of has their like hits after hits of content uh, consistently with God of War. If it's not God of War, it's Spider-Man. If it's not Spider-Man, it's Horizon Zero Dawn. Or if it's not Horizon Zero Dawn, it's Last of Us 2. You know, the list goes on, right? But Xbox have kind of been in this downfall kind of spiral of just their first party or even third party. There's just nothing to be excited about, right? And self-admittedly, they just say there's just no way that it can even compete with Sony's flawless lineup of first-party exclusives, right? But exclusives everything. Why buy Xbox over Sony or why buy Sony over Xbox, right? The third-party titles only just help fill up the time, but it's the first-party exclusives that compels a gamer to go out and, and, and buy that and dedicate that time to that box, right? So Xbox recently just have been in a bad spot. They just, with Halo, basically the opposite effect of what Sony's enjoying, right? They Their Halo uh, have been terrible. Gears of War is kind of like on its last legs. No one really talks about Gears of War anymore. Uh, and then, uh, you know, all their other exclusives uh, are, are just long in development and there's really have no launch titles right so and even worse they admit that this console they lost right so what's next so center festival kind of gave some hope they kind of reveal finally starfield is coming out they have island wake 2 that's coming out later in the year uh fable is kind of having a resurgence so there's very promising looks very promising games coming out right but the the what the soapbox episode is about primarily is how they're uh Game Studios chief Matt Booty, right after showing their first party exclusives, were just mentioning that most of the industry in general need to realize that big games, AAA games, are having development cycles of four to six years or half a decade, right? The the, the days of three to five years for game development for these big titles are are long over. Uh, what's the, the controversy is that a lot of backlash, again, piling on to Xbox, are saying that this is a ridiculous amount of time. It's unrealistic. And what about the game developers? Right? This is all about crunch culture all over again. Uh, why am I waiting for half a decade for a game that day one uh, are, are, are broken? Right, um, That a lot with Xbox shares with the EA DNA uh, of and are synonymous with day one games arriving 
uh, dead on arrival, basically, right? Uh, this game's unplayable, it's so super buggy, uh, and, and just full of glitches, and why are they rushing development like they always do? Uh, it, it's it's the bad name of AAA games are uh, kind of like a staying stigma. Xbox and EA titles are carrying on that torch, right? Meanwhile, no one's saying this about PlayStation, which is the funny outlook of this. So let's go ahead and look at this article for those who are watching. For those who are listening, keep listening. So this article, it was a tweet fest. I couldn't believe how much of a topic it was because it just sounded like he was just stating a fact passing by. It wasn't even supposed to be like a sort of announcement. It's like, hey, just to let you know where most of you already know, most of these games take five years to make, right? It's been like that for the last 10 years plus. It's been like that for me. Uh, you know, there's only a few games that I can name that took three years, and that was Call of Duty titles because there was a definite deadline, and you can't delay a Call of Duty game. You just can't, right? And so there's a forced bubble there that those developers that work on Call of Duty, it's a well-oiled machine, right? There's an expectation and they deliver. And it's a rare instance that that happens for something so so top-notch, so high quality. Say, hate it or love it when it comes to Call of Duty, you cannot argue that what when you buy that $60 game or $70 nowadays, what's packed onto that CD is unrivaled, right? You have multiplayer, you have co-op, right? You have like this huge budget single player experience, right? With constant updates throughout the year. Um, it's unrivaled, right? And uh, it was my first time seeing a game development cycle that was basically, it wasn't, it was far from perfect. Obviously there was a lot of pivots like most of these AAA games go through, but uh you know, the way it was able to kind of pick up, pick itself up, right, through the season developers, uh, by the season developers to kind of carry that through was pretty impressive. I've never really seen that because I'm kind of used to like, oh, shit, we're pivoting, tag on another year to delay the, the game again, disappoint investors, disappoint the publishers, disappoint the gamers. It was kind of like the norm for AAA development. I mean, the podcast was kind of founded when I started this. You know, it was founded on the fact that AAA development was um, was awful, right? You know, I I I would like to think I was talking about it before it got popular <laughs> about crunch culture. You, these are things you hear about, but developers back then were very hush hush for fear of their jobs, right? They didn't want or need that type of attention, but I wanted it. Uh, if anything, I want to expose it to kind of better my life. But, you know, this this backlash, you know, people are just either screaming about how five years is too much, the inefficiency of the development process. What about the devs? You know, the devs are kind of pouring their heart and soul into something that keeps getting pushed. You know, the burnout rate is real, right? Because the burnout rate is for any developer starting in the industry is still around five year mark. I felt it around five years. Uh, and then just this whole backlash and pushback from everywhere on the Twitterverse on the general opinion. Right. And again, the, the, the main reason of that is just like, you know, when these game flop and most of them do, you know, that's over. It's game over for that studio. Most studios close down or are seeing massive layoffs. You know, this is a time where um, the best way I can compare it is that we've gone too employee <clears throat> focused, right? Which is a very weird thing for me to say because you know, in my own journey, right? I, I've seen my opinion evolve, right? I wouldn't even say change, just evolve because it, it's gotten more balanced just by my personal career choices and journey from senior developer to leading studios to migrating from AAA to smaller studios to indie titles to uh back to mold uh to 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 uh to creating my own studio right so i i've been 
facing different types of challenges and I would say more diverse challenges than the typical game developer and, and, and definitely seeing a lot more than, than a typical gamer or, or, or just fan of the industry, right? Uh, or just a regular journalist. Uh, I've seen and been through all these things to find that usually the most unpopular opinion is actually closer to the truth. And I find that we're right now, most people are all about unionizing, all about, you know, and protecting the employee, right? And then having employer appease to every demand and opinions as the best thing for the industry. And I see the exact opposite. You know, the, the, these delays in times, these long development cycles are not the man with the money demanding these things, which is a huge misconception. And it seems to be like the common misconception among uh, conversations about this, right? The reality is that most of these development cycles are set by developers. Uh, right, before, right during the pitch, before financing actually happens. You know, there's are just false estimates or like, I wouldn't even say false estimates. They're not there to kind of set up uh, trickery or set up, set themselves up for failure. Just like anything creative, there's only so many things that you can actually uh, estimate and plan for, if, especially if you're doing something new and innovative, right? Uh, even if, if you're just doing mostly the same and a little innovation, that little innovation is what's going to cause uh, all the delays, right? Um, I, I like to compare it to, you know, we're in an age of a lot of remakes, especially early 2000 games, 90 games. We're seeing Resident Evil going through all their remakes. We're, going, we're seeing Final Fantasy going through all their remakes. We're also seeing uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 getting remade, right? There's just endless amount of remakes uh, that are happening to, to a successful degree, right? You look at those games. All right. And design is locked. Design, funny enough, is the reason for most of these delays. Right. And I don't like how people complain about how graphical fidelity is the reason for these delays that's taking forever. That is totally not the truth. Right. That you are lying through your teeth if that is your hypothesis. Right. In my experience, in all experience, artists usually the ones on top of things. You know, art, when you see art in the game, you're seeing the fifth iteration of that environment, that character, right? Meaning that things were finished five times, right? Like Neo, like entering the matrix for his fifth time talking to the architect. You're looking at, you know, these, uh, these final art pieces in its fifth form, right? Or more in a lot of cases. I've been part, you know, being an environment artist uh, as my foundation, I've been a part of environment teams and levels that have been scrapped after it was finished, uh, rebooted, you know, uh, uh, Frankenstein, where only small pieces of it uh, exist in the game anymore uh, because, you know, design changes their mind. <laughs> design is king. Design, narration, you know, dictates where the game is. I work mostly on single player. Multiplayer has less of this problem because multiplayer is, is all about design and art is secondary. But even in that, you know, art, it, you know, changes on design whims, right? And the reason why you're seeing all these AI art, we're living a generation of AI art now, right? Where, you know, procedural tools are, are have been like the, evolving uh uh shining light for artists right we created these tools so that it's malleable so that things can change within a minute's notice where we're prompting <laughs> uh, ai to create concept art right uh and, and spit it out in 30 seconds these are all created because designers <laughs> keep changing things on us Right. That's literally like we, we don't even have time to put on mocap suit anymore. Right. 
where you know why don't you film me and then that will work for the the skeleton to rig automatically by the way <laughs> and and then be able to have a character in the game in the next 30 minutes and who a whole new character in the next 30 minutes right uh these are all tools that are empowering artists to make things faster to make things adjustable uh you know based on feedback and revisions art is never the problem design however right have not evolved at all they're kind of like uh in a sense um all of writers right i mean writers are the same where you know microsoft doc haven't changed <laughs> you know they're just using the same tools or pen and paper designers are the same i mean they have obviously they're needing to learn the engines right to kind of create the things that they're envisioning and so more of their time i do have a theory on that more of the time is dedicated to the technical skills of it uh more so than the places two days where in those days in my opinion the game design and systems were a lot more solid because all they spent time when was talking and implementing uh with basic tools to get the idea across but now there's more more lean towards learning the tools and doing yourself and so technical so many technical barriers to kind of get an idea across in an engine that I, I feel like it does take away from the purity of game design right but going back to my main point right game design right there hasn't been really something created where ideas can be tested and prototyped very quickly right without uh with minimum mistakes right and that is what's causing delays in games so i hate that argument about graphic fidelity that it is getting more and more crazy and realistic and amazing how much pixels what what we're doing with the amount of pixels given to us right but is it, that is far from the the case from why games are taking longer obviously our production you know how long it takes to fill a room you know, when a designer kind of be, you know, a prototype a room and move on with simple geometry, right? When gameplay is tested, you know, artists have to like make that look amazing uh, depending on the art style. That of course takes time, right? But there's never been a game delayed, right? Because art got in there uh, and, and didn't finish on the deadlines. Just usually we're keep being pushed back by changes and then now we have a minimum amount of window to get it back to the graph of fidelity that we liked right uh and and that's caused by other preemptive uh processes that before art gets to it right it's the same reason that audio always get the shaft the audio team always get the shaft and the visual effects team always get the shaft or even the lighting team gets the shaft because they're like the last crew to get in there and they have their their window in the development cycle are the ones that are getting shorter and shorter right and design is just infinite right if you look at the design I, it sounds like i'm hating on design and sorry for the design but you know it's true right uh games get delayed because of design right never 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 really about art right it's just that our window gets shorter and we're trying to squeeze in things uh, because you took up all our time so there's, there's, there's a real conversation that needs to be had here, a real misunderstanding. And I, I feel like art gets, art gets the root of the attacks and execs. It sounds funny that I'm defending execs, but you know, you need a business mind to sell things, right? We're, we're trying to sell quality products. That's what a game is, right? To sell a quality product, right? Quality are, are, are kind of made up by the creative team, selling is is made up of the execs the business side of things right this is where i feel my my versatility of experience can have an opinion on this uh not to say that nobody else can have opinion but i have a i feel like a balanced opinion of, of saying that hey the end product is a product it, it is not an expression right i i, I too don't feel that it should lean towards too much about artistic expression and what that means and the purity of 
you know, letting myself uh, express myself to 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 kind of you know, it's not a it's not an art form, right? It's an entertainment product. An entertainment product needs to be sold to sustain developers, and uh, to ignore that fact is uh, is kind of ah, I miss you misrepresenting the conversation here, right? Things are being pushed, and I, I, and that's unfair to say that games are being pushed too early. That is unfair to say, right? Usually when, when, that, when that even is brought up, that games are being pushed too early, it's because the game's been delayed already. The game's been delayed. The original date estimation promised by developers were missed. Because of the creative things, the unforeseen creative things that happens in the development cycle and the underestimation of time boxing, the solution for those unforeseenable creative things were basically underestimated, you know, it was, it was, it was not factored correctly, right? And so that caused the delay. And now the man with the money, just like a guy collecting his rent, mortgage, or uh uh you know the money the guy lending the money the mobster <laughs> in this case is asking where you know where's his stuff that you guys promised and it's not there that's that's simply the case here with a lot of these and i think it's completely fair to kind of if you're the one putting out millions and trusting the original vision and you got went past that original vision by uh, delaying the product and the product itself is not even delivering on that vision and the, a lot of the cases the game is just not meeting up to what was originally promised and I think a lot of times what these publishers, investors um, are doing is they're trying to see if it's salvageable because they don't trust the developers anymore right? they're just seeing what can I even break even? Just hoping that I can get some money out of it uh, and, and just walk away from it as kind of like a tax write-off, as a, you know, a learning lesson, a, a failure to, to, to learn from, right? They're not looking to profit from it anymore at that point. And that, that is exactly what's happening, right? There's just a longer dev cycles, I don't think is all, at all usually in all cases, not a bad thing, right? You know, we're in an age where uh, the tech company is going through thousands of thousands of layoffs, right? The honeymoon of the tech stage have officially ended. You know, years ago, I was making fun of this, saying that, you know, if you... Go on any social media and just look at the day in life of at Google or Facebook. Well, what do you come across? You come across these like wannabe influencers, right? Talking about tech influencers that talking about how they just basically go from one cafeteria to the next all day. And in between, you know, just happen to have some meetings. And and that's just how they work. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, but in most cases, they're not, right? I mean, literally, the the uh, amenities of these tech places have gotten completely out of hand, right? Where work is secondary to lifestyle uh, at, at these tech companies. And the tech companies basically reach a boiling point when the money dried up that they just have this huge expense bill every month. And with a lot of people spending their time on social media sharing how great it is to work there, more so than actually working there. So uh, with the pandemic being over, with a lot of people being forced back in the office, all these things I hypothesize that have come true, um, where hybrid is kind of like the norm, but eventually three-day hybrid becomes four-day hybrid becomes basically, why don't you just come back, right? It's already forcing people to live around their physical workspace. You know, the days of living on a farm and farming out work is over remotely, right? That has officially ended as well. There's only a few companies left, but all the big companies 
have done that. Uh, I saw an article, right? And mind you, I run a remote company, right? I'm not all opposed to it, but I do think there's a threshold of when remote doesn't work, meaning there's an amount of people that remote just becomes overbearing and just doesn't make sense in terms of a function of a company. And I think that's around 20 plus, 25 plus people, right? Uh, just by interviewing uh, a lot, falling on the studies, seeing the aftermath of a lot of these remote studios going back to full remote, right? A lot of Silicon Valley companies that was all open arms about it and then backpedaling from it, right? To me, it was embraced before because it was the only way to get things done. Now that it's over, right, it's all about what's the best way of getting done. And I think nobody can argue that if I were to put, and I think someone said this, I read this somewhere that was very compelling, that if you were to take two teams to compete, one is fully remote and one is fully in office, who would you bet on? And of course, you know, if you're not trying to force a situation, it would be the team that's working together physically in a physical space. I mean, even Meta with virtual reality, they recognize that that is the truth. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they, they themselves are forcing people back in the office, but also their whole virtual reality horizon and workspace is trying to bring people close to replicate the in-office setting, right? They're not talking about stay remote, I'll see you on Zoom. They're not, they know how important it is to feel the presence of your coworkers and be able to collaborate, all right? And, and that's not to take away the fact that at large portions of the day, you're gonna have to go back to your cubicle or whatever and work in solitude to actually get things work done. You don't want to just congregate and talk all day, right? Right. Um, unless you're brainstorming and at the early stages of your projects. But once planning have finished, right, the bulk of the time is going back to your computer. But um, I, I think that's where hybrid comes into play. But most of the time you're in the office. And again, that, that model only works if you have exceptional developers that are very optimized and truthful, right? Let's not, to, let's not just kind of gloss over the fact that by default, most people are lazy or, or, or trying to kind of shortcut the system or trying to work. I mean, we live in an age where I want to get paid max amount, amount of dollars and do little work as possible. I mean, people are constantly trying to hack, you know, how they work. And that's not to say that being in the office, right, uh, cuts that out. Come on, let's be honest here. When you're in the office, you're you're looking for ways to kind of eat up your eight hours, right, and, and work to the point where you don't get in trouble, right? And people are constantly hacking uh, while they're visible, Right, and it's just gotten a lot easier when you're in in a remote setting to do just that. Right, so that's that's me going on a tangent about like the current situation, the current climate of things. Right, you add on to the layer of like when we were working in the office, it was taking five years to make. Now most studios are going back to that, uh, but there are still some lingering uh, because of you know. Um, it hasn't been fully embraced. Not all companies are outright saying come back in the office just yet, but they want to. And so there is some studios that are allowing the hybrid approach, remote working, and they're seeing delays because of it. So you tack on a year or two on top of the five years, and that's more a realistic picture of, of what happened. Right? I'm pretty sure if you look at the Xbox games, a lot of those games got pushed back because of the pandemic where people were working at home. And yeah, let's just forgive like maybe four to six months in that beginning period where the infrastructure was just wasn't set up at these studios that it 
tacked on the delay forcefully, but there is a rhythm now. Infrastructure is set up and we're still seeing delays. And the reason why is people are trying to hack, right? I know a lot of friends that are uh, doubling up on their jobs. They have two salary jobs and they think that they're you know, being slick and, uh, you know, as long as you get the, you know, the, the work done, I'll be fine. But, you know, they're actually, I think there's a whole mental health aspect to that. It's like, dude, working two jobs is draining, even though your bank account is growing. But also, you know, when you're doing two things at once, you're not doing either of them great. You're just doing either of them just okay, right? So you're doing disservice to the play, places that are hiring you, but also you're you're killing yourself mentally by by trying to keep up this ruse. But also you're mentally, you know, doing two jobs. So you know, there's going to be times and periods where you're going to have to catch up work, balance that to to make it work, and uh, and it can be incredibly draining. Especially to your social life, right? Uh, you're, you're you're dividing your day to to the point of uh, to the point of exhaustion. Uh, I, you worry about your mental health before. This is just this, the, the the amount of time that you're spending thinking about work multiplies, right? If you're even if you're doing four hours per job per day versus six to seven hours, right? Uh, because you're under delivering, right? On paper, right? You have to still look like you're giving seven to eight hours. So you're constantly worrying about that. So I see that side of the coin where people are, 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 are increasing their income, right? But they're, they're, it's like basically, you know, losing sleep the night before and you're shortening your lifespan slowly but surely. I, I think by doubling up, uh, you know, trying to take advantage and game the system this way, you're 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 basically burning out. And there's plenty of articles and studies that are seeing that the people who are double dipping right now uh, are, are 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 regretting it. And and people that actually hopped jobs during the pandemic in that uncertain time because it was kind of like what do they call it, um. job rena renaissance uh basically people were questioning reevaluating all their decisions before the pandemic and putting their life uh above work um you know adjusting their work-life balance right uh which i felt at that time was very short-term thinking because you don't you know the pandemic was once in a lifetime type of thing for that to happen hopefully and to make some very short-term decisions off of that not knowing what the ramifications the long-term ramifications of of is everybody going to stay remote forever uh, can i go to a farm and 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 work remotely and without worrying about my my job security uh, can i compete with someone who is in the office doing the same job as me remotely and 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 not be overlooked for promotions or 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 basically be a target for layoffs right these are things that i was thinking about immediately when people were telling me that you know they're making like some life changing decisions and i'm already hearing like a lot of regrets because now that they're being forced back in the office or um going having to be forced at least working near the office they the human element of like man i was i'm missing my old friends uh, basically where you know that was a factor in my decision when but bef when i made the jump you know that was last on my list you know i didn't care about because we didn't meet anybody didn't see anybody it was all like zoom calls it was all business uh no pleasure that i didn't have to worry about that and now they're they're deeply regretting it and now it's just all they think about it's like damn I really let go of a very long-term job for short-term gains, right? And um, uh, these are the factors I, I I hear when when people complain about these four to six years. There's just so many elements to a game development that 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 isn't just about studio managers, execs, you know, and and poor old 
employees kind of following orders, doing a death march. It's just so many things that people are not discussing about it. And it's disappointing to kind of see journalism just kind of catering to the mob. Right? Not to say that all readers and people are, are have like this idea that uh, they're not trying to do a good thing, right? But by doing what they're doing, they're kind of hurting, I feel, developers. Like what, what is the desired outcome, right? It's like, no, these games shouldn't take five years. They should take three. So what are we saying? that rockstar stop development right completely readjust your next game gta so that it, it fits into this three-year uh ambiguous arbitrary three-year development that we feel is appropriate to make games right like who, who are you to say to these professionals how how long games should take like wouldn't you think the people that do it every day right know how to do it more so than the, the typical gamer or the typical journalist, right? There, I mean, obviously, devs are actually arguing. There are people on that side too that are arguing that these dev cycles are too long. But again, I, you know, these are the type of devs that I feel that have very short-term thinking, right? I would love to work on a game that I, I'm told that it'll take five years to make. That's five years of job security. You know, you're talking to the guy that moved every three years and not just to, you know, the next neighborhood. It's like, I'm talking about like up and down the state of California. You know, I was in NorCal, I was in SoCal, I was in LA, I was in Irvine, I was in, you know, uh, not even San Francisco, I was in Marin, and then I was in, in the Peninsula Bay area. I mean, these are all like all over the place. Basically every job I had to move for. Uh, and it was a tiring effort. Right, the only job security I, I I can gauge things to was when the game was told how long it would take to make, right? And to me, when games are told to me that it'll take three years to make, I feel less secure than the ones that are longer, like five years or even longer than that, right? So I don't understand that side of the argument. Like, I, as a dev, I don't want shorter life cycles. Are you crazy, right? Shorter lifestyle doesn't guarantee a successful game, a sequel. Uh, therefore, uh, you know, you know, in this case, failing fast is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, most successful people are saying failing fast and learning from your mistake is the way to go, but not for game dev cycles. I want to fail slow. I want to take five years. I want to plan my life half a decade. Right. And then, you know, adjust at the four year mark. All right. This game is starting to look like shit and then make my move. Like I want the control on my side as a dev because that's how I was playing in my whole career, man. I was I was needing that time to like, settle, have a life, see my kids grow up a little and then move. Right. If you tell me three years, you're telling me like once I start moving, settle with the team within the first year after that first year you know, approaching that second year, I need to start thinking about my next job. It's like, this is too crazy, dude. It's too crazy. Why would I want that? Right? Uh, this, the second part of that is that, you know, uh, if games are taking five years to make, right? You know, poor, these poor guys are having these long dev cycles and, and burnout. The burnout is not from working on a five-year game, right? Uh, you know, you hear this maybe at Blizzard once in a while where these games like Diablo just came out, right? Those take eight to 10 years, 12 years, right? They're still there. I mean, if they had the choice, a lot of people who left Blizzard was for other reason, right? For harassment and all these things. But most people are happy at Blizzard because of the long dev cycles. Yeah, it gets annoying. I've heard arguments saying, oh, my friend just shipped a game. He shipped three games while I was just working on this game. Yeah, because, you know, there is an ego side of game development where uh, you, you want to see a product out. You want people to enjoy it, right? There's a big part of you to for acceptance uh, as a, a person who's making entertainment, right? You want to entertain. And if you have to wait for 10 years, 8 years to 12 years, you know, that is a very uh, uh, suspense uh, <laughs> suspense way of, uh, of, of building building uh satisfaction right the delayed gratitude right there uh, that's really delayed and 
most devs have a, a problem with that. But if you were to say, hey, you know, yeah, I I I ship two games while you work on that, but I also moved like three times, right? Uh, the grass isn't greener over here. You know, then you reevaluate that. And it's like, you know what? The eight to 10 year cycle is not that bad at Blizzard, right? So I'm just very surprised the, the, how the backlash is just have swung this far. Um, you know, I, I can I couldn't find anyone to agree with me on this one. And it worries me because, it, you know, it is a huge misconception. Uh, a misunderstanding let's just say that where uh not all devs want shorter game cycles and not all delays is because of graphical fidelity shut the fuck up and it's not because game designers can't make it fun they're trying to figure out right obviously they want to make it fun but like there's just so many different components it, it just you're not finding the right recipe just yet and it takes time to try things. And the bigger the team, the worse it is for a decision to be made. That's another thing, right? So bigger teams, naturally, something that takes 10 people, a 10 dev team to make a decision, try it and, and stick with it. You know, if you multiply that with 300 to 1,000 people, right? You're, you're talking about a one-day decision become a 10-day decision, right? Especially if it's like a pivotal change to the original game design, right? Not not just tweaks. Tweaks still take a long time, but there's a cascading effect of changing things within a big team on a big budget game. A lot of these tools are, are trying to help, but most people who use these tools to speed up game development feature creep, right? They 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 look at the three years. And they don't look at it as I can then turn these three years to two years. They look at it as like, well, we still have three years. So we'll do more. <laughs> we'll do more environment procedural. Environment. We'll do more metal human characters. We'll do more mocap AI. Right. And, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, you, if you give developers with no discipline better tools, they're still going to mess it up. Right. Uh, and, and the counter. To that is also true. If you give great developers who are efficient, greater tools, they're just going to make games better. And you see that with like existing studios, right? Again, all the PlayStation studios, they're on a hit right now. They've they are ref, they've refined the formula, and in most cases, in a lot of cases, at least recently in the PlayStation Five era, they have been hitting it out of the park, right? But you, I think what people forget in the PlayStation 4 era, there was a lot of figuring out to do. You know, all the studios were in trouble. Uh, God of War, right? After 3, uh, they had Ascension, which flopped, right? And they had to bring back uh, the creative director for 2 and 3, uh, Corey Balrog, uh, to re-envision what God of War is like in, you know, Heavily influenced by the Demon Souls, which was type of game back then, popularized over, over the shoulder of their person, and successfully revamped God of War for the studio to crank out three more games, right? And uh, Insomniac went through a phase two. For the longest time, they were just exclusive partner to PlayStation, but it wasn't until Spider-Man that they really had a hit. I mean, they had Ratchet and Clank. And they tried a bunch of original IPs. They use a lot of the technology that led to Spider-Man, the learnings to Spider-Man. And Spider-Man just killed it. And now they, they're releasing Spider-Man 2 and then they have Miles Morales and it was a super polished, super awesome game. And then even Horizon Zero done. You know, Guerrilla Games have been always regarded as a very top-notch technical studio. But the Killzone series were ironically inferior to Halo. You know, that was when Halo was the greatest. And it wasn't until Horizon Zero Dawn where they were finally recognized creatively how amazing they are. I mean, Killzone wasn't bad. Technically, it was more of an achievement. But artistically and gameplay-wise, it didn't, it didn't stand out enough, right? So it had trouble. It had enough success, but not like PlayStation success, right? Like Guerrilla Games. 
Uh, Naughty Dog is still consistent, but they have a revolving door that, you know, every year the same positions are being asked to be filled because a lot of people contract end or people leave. You know, the burnout rate at, at Naughty Dog is a real problem. Uh, same at Sony Santa Monica. I mean, part of the recruiting, if you look at the website a few years ago, the recruiting video is all about, hey, man, we're not that bad. We don't kill people anymore by overworking them. And that, that was part of the recruiting. It's like, yo, this is not, but th that's them recognizing, and fair enough, stepping up to acknowledging, you know, they foster bad culture and they're trying to fix it, right? Uh, because it was preventing them from capturing awesome talent. But even then, like after these God of War games, I'm seeing a lot of high profile and naturally high profile people leave all the time for better opportunities. But after God of War, a lot of art directors, lead character artists, like, like really, you know, top tier talent have been leaving that studio. So it'd be interesting to see this change of guard again, because it is a disruptor. What people don't understand is like these studios that are successful, that are able to squeeze in in these tight dev cycles and deliver high quality games on time is mostly because teams, those are teams that stick together. Most game studios don't stick together. People move on uh, for better salary, uh, for better opportunities. You know, you stay within a studio, there's only so much you can grow. There's only one lead position. There's a finite manageable amount of positions uh, for seniors to move up. And when it's not there and you have hit on your hand, that's the best time to strike. So most people take that opportunity as leverage to go somewhere else uh, to boost themselves, right? Put themselves first. And so what happens is these studios, you know, go through these changeover and you have like sometimes, you know, uh, a dead period where they're not pushing out hits. So you'll start seeing in the PlayStation, I feel, you know, uh, they have a great formula. They have a great quality control center. I don't know how they do it. Uh, centrally, they, they're basically Kevin Feige in Marvel Studios. They, they, they have the ability to constantly push out hit. I mean, that's very hard to do. Even with highly seasoned developers, that's hard to maintain and they've been doing it. Um, but I, I, I think people forget what, how long that road took for them to be where they are right now. And Xbox is just nowhere near that. I mean, you talk about changeover, like most of these Xbox studios have probably really high turnover rates. They don't have that quality team that are used to shipping games together and have stuck together right um for whatever reason toxic culture like i said before better opportunities people leave after shipping a game right so that that's not to say the problem fixes itself when you shorten the dev cycle i i guarantee it people will leave even faster <laughs> after a game is shipped most people stay until the game is shipped to kind of get the credits and it is the right thing to do as a courtesy to not have like a bad uh, mark on your resume to leave when the game ships. Uh, you don't want too many of those games that you left before it ships on your resume because it, it, it is frowned upon. I mean, it's like, what's going on with this guy? He ditches it, you know, a year in every time he works on a game. Um, but uh, yeah, if, we're, let's say we switch, like hypothetically, play through the scenario. We push up the date to three years. You think if, if the, the only algorithm, the only theory that we kind of have worked for us is that teams that stick together can repeat success uh, or have, have a higher probability of repeating success, right? You look at studios like Naughty Dog, you look at studio, any of the places studios, you look at Respawn, right? Respawn, I think, was probably the originators of this model. They took the Call of Duty Infinity War team, went over the Respawn, right? Titanfall wasn't as great of a success, right, as the Call of Duty franchise, but it had notoriety enough to go with the Titanfall 2. But it was Titanfall 2, uh, Titanfall 3 in prototype phase that led to Apex Legends. All right. 
And now they have the confidence and the reputation that they repeated what they did at Infinity Ward to respawn, right? With the Star Wars game, Fallen Order and the next Star Wars game, right? And and whatever else they're working on, they're they're a darling at EA now uh, for basically proving success again, uh, which is very rare, right? And in terms of rare, super rare, right? That they are not uh, a PlayStation studio, but also uh, it's unheard of, right? I mean, the only studios that are able to do that have been kind of riot, right? With their reputation, uh, Blizzard in its heyday, Blizzard's kind of having resurgence, right? They had this dead period because of the har- harassment and bad publicity, but Diablo 4, you know, is a hit. Right. I mean, it made almost uh, $700 million in like two weeks. Right. Which is the highest. Uh, that, and, but that, that, that's a game that took 10 plus years. And believe me, talk about uh, kind of, uh, you know, people leaving in terms of people leaving. Man, I bet half that team probably left by now that originally started on that. More than half. Right? The turnover rate on that game is probably insane. Uh, but thankfully, they, they they stuck to a formula that worked and was uh, able to push it out the door. So, you know, they needed that hit. In my opinion, it, the Blizzard could not afford a, a failure at this point. Right? You look at Overwatch 2, you know, they're trying to regain some ground there. But, um, you know, that that's a, that's a studio that kind of, in, in my opinion, outside of Team Fortress 2, they, they, they ushered in the asymmetric gameplay, right? After Left 4 Dead, right, I guess. Basically, non-Valve games, you know, Overwatch was kind of like the frontmen for asymmetric games or like specialized characters, that, that whole genre that gave way to Valorant and other games. Uh, for whatever reason, they took a break, right? There's just so many elements. But you're talking about, I'm, I'm listing all these game development teams that are well-known that seem to have their shit together, and they don't. And... They're taking these long death cycles, right? Even with like seasoned professionals at, at the uh, in the driver's seat, right? So, what is this argument that somehow that you know the, the man with the the man the money is the last person in the room that want games to be the lead? Yeah, if, if you know, if I give you ten million dollars, I'm the man with the money, and you're telling me you can turn it into twenty in three years. Like, I want that deal. Right, you know, you know, you're turning twenty million in five years. I, you know, what, what are you asking me? Of course, of course, I want the game cycle to be shorter. It's the developers that are pushing this further, but the developers not blame, right? The people who are making the games. Yes, there are some cases like Mass Effect. It's like these developers suck, right? But uh, uh, at least in this latest rant. Uh, this latest news article, like all the blame is kind of pushed towards if it's developers, it's the leadership group, right? If it's not developers, it's the the publishers or the financiers, the investors, right? But it's not like, it's not the grunts. It's not the, the everyday developers. Like everybody, I, I just don't like that mindset where it's celebrated when the game is a success as the whole team did it, but in its failure, it's always just the the top guys. And believe me, if you guys are longtime listeners, this is a complete reversal to how I felt eight years ago, right? Which is looking back, experience and more uh, a balanced outlook on things have helped me finally come to this realization that everybody plays a role, right? into why a game isn't successful the the same amount of percentage of fault is of course different right you know the percentage of fault i it does fall more on to the people making decisions more so than the guy who is interning and making an asset obviously right but everybody contributes to a failure in in various ways and um, you you accept that as soon as you come onto the team, right? Because to me, you can't be part of the success if you can't accept to be part of the failures. And I own up to that. There are 
games that I worked on that should have been bigger. I, I haven't worked on a big flop, really, thankfully. But like, I can see why the games didn't get pushed. Um, based on my own contributions of what I could have done. But even though I understand that there's only so much I can do when I'm making assets or making a level, right? It doesn't overall impact the game that much. But you think about it. And the game is some of, is the sum of its parts. And whenever de every developer thinks like that and they're just putting half effort, right? It contributes to the, the full game being subpar, right? And I think that's what's happening even more so than now, even more so now than before that uh, working remotely isolates the developer's responsibility uh, towards the game uh, because it doesn't matter. You don't see it. You don't own it. You don't see the grievances behind the scenes. You don't see the impact of how a game being delayed is as much. Right. And, and I think that extends to readers of these articles, developers on the other side of the fence and journalists. They're, they're so one sided right now. And uh, I just don't like how everyone's playing the blame game and taking no responsibility. And uh, it, it was just very surprising to me that. I thought this is what, how things should have been years ago, where like completely employee centric uh, in, in terms of opinion. But I mean, if we give, you know, all the responsibility to the execs, to the leadership, right? I think we suffer as an industry as a whole. You know, because if we give into the demands of either side too much without that balance, the issue will fall apart. And we're going to be stuck with games like now. We're going to be stuck with games that takes forever to make, uh, cost way more, and they're going to flop, right? Who's going to invest in games anymore? And you're already seeing like a lot of outside investors who don't believe in investing games literally to say like games stay the fuck away from me because they're a bunch of like they, they, they equate it to like snake oils oil salesmen right snake oil salesmen and they don't want anything to do with games because the, you know it's so rare to have a hit right and the only way to minimize that for a higher probability of success is yes smaller budget smaller vision quicker to fail but there's already avenues to do that I don't want to get rid of all the high budget AAA games. I don't think that's the answer either. You need those games to kind of continue to push the envelope, right? That's why other industries are finally paying attention to us. It's because of those games and the graphical fidelity that we can do in runtime, in real time right now. Movies are pushing the technology as well as ourselves. You know, mobile games, right? Uh, the phone is pushing game interest. You know, everyone's doing their part to kind of globalize gaming uh, and the appeal of game developers naturally are converted from gamers, right? So like the appeal is is spreading. So every, everyone's everyone's doing their part to kind of make this a stronger industry. And I think it's kind of lame that somehow graphical fidelity or games taking longer to make is a problem, right? It's not a problem. It's just that, you know, making games is hard, man. It, you know, no one has a formula nailed down. And uh, job security would be great, but job security, it depends on the successful of a project, you know, and a successful project can't be quantified. You know, it's not, it can't be calculated. You, you can't guarantee a success. You can, you can heighten the probability for all the reasons I've listed by sticking with the same team as long as possible. But personal ambitions get in the way. People want to leave because they want better pay. They want higher positions. And the current studio, even though they had a hit, 
uh, is not providing that. So I want to move my family somewhere else. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a evolving problem and you just got to adapt. I think overall the game industry is fine. The game industry is fine. Right. Uh, leave it alone. You know, it, it's organically fixing itself. Right. There doesn't need to be protests. Uh, there doesn't need to be um, the need of uh, shitting on, on these companies. They all are trying their best to deliver a product. Right. Um, so it's dangerous out there, man. It's dangerous out there. So matter of time, you know, as always, people are probably going to combat me on my opinion. It, it is an unpopular opinion. I was surprised how unpopular it was when I was trying to express myself. I mean, it's not like people were calling me on my shit, but they were giving me a million reasons why uh, I was wrong. Uh, but everyone has their own truth, right? To the, you know, I think... Uh, leveraging everyone's opinion is probably the best way to get to the truth. But I had to comment on this because I, you know, it's too one-sided. That's my problem with this too one-sided. It's like, yo, I know how I've been through all this, man. Uh, who, who are you talking to? <laughs> I don't want three year game cycles for what? So I can do three game titles in six years. I don't care about that, man. I don't care about that. You know, especially, you know, maybe when I'm in my twenties, but with the family, you care about like, can I work and stay at a place longer than five years? Right. Five year game cycle. Perfect. You know, sign me up on that. It looks like it's going to be a decent game. Right. Um, I don't want to work on any title that takes two years to make. What are you kidding me? When most games fail, what are you talking about? You know, you got to be a very, your, your pitch has to be perfect. Right. For me to kind of buy in sort of and then very rarely do i see a pitch so amazing where you have it all laid out this is how we're going to make the rest of the game uh that make me believe in you to trust like yo let me buy a house up there <laughs> you know there's a reason why there are gaming game job hubs it's so that people can hop around without moving houses right you go to la not because i love naughty dog naughty dog for life it's like you go to Santa Monica because you know what? If this doesn't work out, I can go down the street and work over there. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. Right? So don't, don't, people who are not working games, don't, please do not <laughs> try to represent me. You have no idea uh, what it's like. Uh, it's kind of hurting. Right? I feel bad for Matt Booty. I mean, you know, by that name alone, he probably went through a lot of challenging times uh growing up and then you know this seems like a kind of like a drive-by comment didn't make think much of it and it became like a whole thread for the like two three days everybody had an opinion on it mostly against it somehow thinking that you know it was a bad thing it's just like where's the bad part man he's saying i see job security and working on a big game you know the, the, the people are still striving to do that, you know, in the game industry. Uh, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities. It's great. You know, you know how hard it was before for execs to accept that? Five years to make? Man, make it two years. I want money now. But now they're accepting that. It's like, hey, it takes five years to make. It's like, that's some fantastic. You know how long it took us to get them to that place? Now you want to move back? You crazy? Man. Anyways, you know, let me know your guys' thoughts. It was a pretty long rant, but it, it was important, man. There's only so many things that take me to the soapbox to, to talk like this, and this was one of it. You know, as always, I'm interested to the listeners out there to what your thoughts are about all this. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, you know, uh, quote this episode. Let me know. Thanks, guys. Hello, everybody. Brandon here. I want to talk to you today about something very special. We've been on this wild ride together, haven't we? From my early days as a senior employee, feeling a bit lost, all the way to leading multiple studios, transitioning to smaller indie teams and to the mobile industry, and now running my own game studio for the last six years. Throughout this time, you've been here listening and learning along with me, sharing this never-ending journey of discovery. This year, I'm kind of on this quest of meeting serial studio founders, discussing acquisitions, 
or exploring what it takes to grow a studio to over 100 developers. I've always tried to find an exciting topic to delve into, and every year is a little different. The focus is a little different because that's where I am in my career currently, and I want to be able to share what I'm learning with you guys. So I've always been dedicated to asking the tough questions, bringing you insightful answers from industry leaders and experts. And now I want to share with you how I'm applying these answers to my own journey. This is why I'm excited to announce that for just $1.99 per month, you can now subscribe to our exclusive content series. These bonus episodes will give you a deeper look into my personal experiences and how I'm putting into practice what our esteemed guests are preaching. It's more of a personal side of the journey that I hope will show you that we're all in this together and we're all continuously learning. Whether you're a game developer, studio founder, or just a passionate gamer, there's something in it for everyone. By subscribing, not only will you gain access to this exclusive content, but you'll also be supporting the ongoing production of the regular programming. It helps keeps the lights on and ensures that I can continue bringing you top quality content and insight into the world of game development. The links to subscribe are in the description. Your support means the world to me and helps me keep doing what I love sharing this journey with you. So show some love, hit that subscribe button, and let's continue this adventure together. Thank you all for your continued support. And as always, stay tuned for more exciting content. Until next time, this is Brandon, signing off.